Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 52. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionFanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, how are you doing? Terrific! The Habs have been defeated. Righteousness has reigned and ruled. Everything is good. Yeah, it's yesterday was a, an interesting game and an interesting time uh, to be a Leafs fan because the Leafs, frankly, got their butts whooped by the Habs in the first period. Yeah. Like, and like absolute mauling. And they deserved every bit of that 3-0 deficit. Yeah, it was gross. Like, they started okay for a few minutes, and then the roof just fell in on them. Yeah, it was it was awful. And then, uh, if you checked Twitter, for example, in, in that time, uh, it reflected that fact that, hey, this is, this is awful. This is really, 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 really awful. It was bleak out there. There were yeah. a lot of people who, you know, like Mike Babcock has lost the room. Mm-hmm. Um... The Leafs, you know, are just never going to achieve to their potential. I saw one person who was like, the Leafs are only like four points up from being eliminated from playoff contention or something like that. Like, oh, sorry. They were like four points above the cut line for the playoffs if they lost that game. Which Mm -hmm. they did not, as it turned out. Very nice. Yeah, and I mean, so we, we normally take a pretty analytical approach to the game and you know, talk about a lot of what we do is centered around like, okay, is this something we can expect to see going forward? Fuck that for now. That was a fun game. <laughs> that was terrific. Right? Like that's what being a hockey fan is about. If anyone says, but they're Corsi about that game, punch them in the face. <laughs> like yeah, they came I'm, back big and they won. So yeah, right. Good. Like the, the, given the competition, given the moment, you know, Saturday night against the Habs, I'm fine with an undeserved comeback win that occurred in that manner. More than fine. I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah. Take that and run. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think there was there was legitimate, if we want to get into, like, expected and sustainable and all that jazz, I, there, was, there were legitimate things to like going forward from the team. You know, their performance in the last two periods. Um, so let's talk about some of those things and maybe more generally. I love William Nylander. He yeah. is number one in my heart once again. Yes, and I mean, look, it was not a bold take um, among people who are not idiots to be like, hey, William Nylander is actually still good. Yeah. Right? But he, he, as we said last week, and it's continued this week, he's been the best Leafs forward, maybe the best Leafs player aside from Freddie, over the past like little bit, almost for like a month and a bit now. Yeah. Right? He's been very, very, very good. And... You know, again, we can say, oh, it's his competition. Well, I mean, look at his teammates at this point. His line mates were, were Marlowe and Brown. Yeah. Turning that into a 60% expected goals line, which is what they were last night, is like basically Jesus turning water into wine. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Just looking at, so just since the start of February, and I didn't pick this cutoff for any reason other than it was convenient, but it's the last 12 games. Uh, Nylander is dominating in, in terms of being first on the team, but he's also dominant in a, just a normal sense, in Corsi, Fenwick, which means he's actually getting his shot blocked a lot less than he was before. Um, that was a real problem for him at one point. Uh, he's dominating in goals, scoring chances, just really, really playing well right now. Um, his on-ice numbers are, are great. And yes, he got an absolute gift of a goal last night. Yeah. He deserves it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he deserves it. After that period where it was like, it was, I don't know if he cracked an Egyptian tomb or something like that, but he was just cursed. His again contract again. was signed on like um, a Native American reservation or something. Yeah, like you know. cursed or something. 
It was bad yeah, yeah. for a while there. But yeah, so he was due for just an absolute gift from the shooting percentage regression gods, which he got. And now that said, there's something to be said for taking the opportunity and running with it because he pounced on it and then he had the sense to roof the shot immediately. Yeah, like, uh, Carey Price actually came pretty close to saving that. Mm-hmm. If Nylander just throws that along the ice, like fires it away at the first second out of desperation, which is what I think... I mean, it sure as hell is what I would have done, but what some players would have done. That might get Connor saved, Brown. But, you know, he, he put it to bed, and his setup play, even though it was a secondary assist, on um, the Tyler Ennis goal, I thought was really nice. Him to Marlowe below the goal line, and then Marlowe out to Ennis. It was tic-tac-toe, and then it was really nice to see. So just after, you, you know, a period where, you know, we had the contract thing, and then it was really kind of clouding over, I think there's... No reason to be anything but pretty excited about that contract going forward. And I'm planning my flag on this one as early as I can. But I actually believe that the William Nylander contract is going to turn out to be good value. I really honestly do believe that. Even though, as we've mentioned before, he's probably not going to be on the first unit power play most of the time. So he won't put up huge counting stats. But I think he's going to be really good for us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so what are some other, I guess, takeaways you had from the game? Um, or things you just wanted to talk about? Leafs rule, Habs suck. That's the biggest thing. Um, <laughs> on a slightly negative note, and we've both complained about this, and I want to keep this in perspective a little bit, because it is easy to take an evil eye to a player who frustrates you, and that is absolutely what has happened for me with Connor Brown. But Connor Brown is where offense goes to die. Like, he just doesn't do anything with the puck that is productive. He's not a bad player. I want to emphasize this. He's a pretty decent defensive winger. He works hard. He does a lot of things well. Just, you, you know, Zach Hyman gets tagged as having no hands. And, you know, not without some reason, let's be honest. But I think Connor Browns are worse. I honestly think that. He just makes me a little crazy when he gets played... With superior offensive centers, which is pretty much always with the Leafs if you're in the top nine. Uh, and I just keep thinking I would rather see almost anyone there um, than Connor Brown on an offensive line. I'm fine with him as a fourth line player. I think he's an above average, a well above average fourth line player. Like he's good, but just I'd like someone who can take advantage of offensive opportunities to a greater extent than he does. And unlike with Zach Hyman, the rest of his game isn't enough that I'm contented with putting up with him having cement hands. Yeah. it's. Does he know you're allowed to carry the puck across the blue line? I don't think he does, and maybe someone should tell him. You know, like, he, he's like the almost the only major dump and chase forward on the Leafs. Um, he, a, he certainly... I haven't looked at the stats for this, but like... I feel like you could count on one hand the number of times he's tried to enter the zone with the puck on his stick. And you know what? That makes sense to some degree. He knows his skill set. He knows mm-hmm. he's not the most dynamic guy with a puck. So he makes the quote-unquote safe play a lot. But it, it that doesn't detract from the fact that it's not a very useful play a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is just he's made it by being Mr. Steady, Mr. Beloved of the Coaches, Mr. Safe Play. Mr. Do it right, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And I get it. You know, I get that if that's what they told you to do and that's how you've carved out a career for yourself. That's a sixth round pick. 
Um, that's what I would do too. You know, I would play to whatever I thought was going to keep me employed. And so fair enough. But at the same time, when you see guys like Nazem Kadri or William Nylander or even, you know, occasionally John Tavares, where there's so much offense going on, and then you have a guy who basically doesn't do anything in the offensive zone uh, that's all that productive or in transition, that you find yourself thinking, I don't know if I'm that invested in keeping the Connor Brown contract. But Oh, um, I, th- I think everyone accepts that he's, he's gone, right? Because yeah. there isn't room for him on, in the top nine. No. Right? And we'll, we'll discuss this a bit later when we talk about Nylander's time at center. But there's not really room for him in the top nine. And he's far too expensive to be on the fourth line. Yeah, and there are a lot of teams that could still nonetheless use him. Uh, yeah, as a third liner. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, I think the, the offensive thing is a limitation, but most teams are a lot weaker at forward than the Leafs are. You know? Yeah, m- most teams are, don't exp- like don't have this expectation of wow. Well, our our third line right wing should actually be like a first liner by talent. Yeah, <laughs> like that's our standard. You know, and we actually lost like a high-end second-line center slash low-end first-line center in quality and injury to Nazem Kadri, and we replaced him with a guy who appears to be at least a high-end second-line center. I don't know. Uh, it, we'll talk about this in a bit, but it is hard to gauge just yet where Nylander ranks as a pure center, but he looks real good to me, and I'm pretty convinced that most teams couldn't just slot the next guy over from the mm-hmm. wing uh, to the degree that we've been able to do that. So... You know, I think of Josh Levo, and, and God bless him, he's doing well on Vancouver, but he was, depending on how you want to slice it, our, like, 10th to 13th forward, maybe. Um, in Mike Babcock's estimation, he was 13th. And he's been traded to Vancouver, and he's playing with Elias Patterson, and he, he's, like, regularly in their top six and probably will be for some time just because they don't have the wingers. So Connor Brown can certainly... You know, he, he won't go begging for NHL jobs if we do trade him. It's just everything about it seems to add up to somebody's got to get dumped and it's going to be him. <laughs> yeah. Um, other things to talk about about that game. I guess Matthews, how did you feel about him? Because I, I had kind of mixed feelings about his game. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Austin Matthews, and we've talked about this before, is that he's not a complete player to nearly the extent that I think people imagine when they imagine franchise superstar, 11.5 million cap hit, um, franchise center. You you know, like when people think of that, they generally think of a guy who's a do-it-all player. And Austin Matthews is not a do-it-all player. What he is... He looks like a do-it-all player. He looks like a do-it-all player. He's a do... a couple of really important things better than anyone on the planet player. And that's also really, really good. Uh, You can debate his value against a lot of other very, very, very good players. And, you know, he creates his own shot better than any of them. He converts on opportunities better than any of them. You know, he's got a way of uh, protecting the puck. He's a big body. He's hard to knock off it. Um, He can maneuver in a phone booth, basically, despite being huge. Um, a lot of those things are incredible. And, you know, I've complained about the contract being a little bit of an overpay. Still, in the end, I'm 
very comfortable with, with Austin Matthews being extremely highly played and building a team around him. All of that said, there are times when you find yourself noticing that he's just not that good in his own zone. Yeah. He's and, very spacey, I find, in his own zone. Yeah, he just doesn't seem to get there as often as you would like him to in a timely fashion. And, and you know, there's a balance here between you don't want to sound like you're pointing out a scratch on a Ferrari, and you also want to have a realistic perception of what your most important player is and play to his strengths. Like, there's no question of, are we anything but ecstatic about Austin Matthews? It's just... How do you use him effectively? What do we want him to work on? How do we have the best possible version of Austin Matthews? And he's a bit of a weirdly constructed player in terms of his brilliance being so specialized. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that if you look at really, really high-end centers recently who consistently put up more goals than they do assists, that's really not that common in centers. Um, Jeff Carter is an example for the LA Kings recently. And I can't think of too many others who consistently do that. You know, there's more of a distribution action that goes on with a lot of centers. And again, Austin Matthews should take a ton of shots because he's really good at them. That makes a ton of sense. It just means that he's a bit of a different mold than your conventional... Um, you, you know, I'm thinking of a guy like Ryan Getzlaff to pick a name out of a hat, like a classic playmaking center. Austin mm -hmm. Matthews is a elite, elite, elite sniper with um, a bit of power forward skill. And that's kind of uh, tough to quantify. And then you also have to look at uh, the two-way game, which isn't really there as much as some people hoped it was. So, yeah, that's kind of where, where I'm coming from. And then the question becomes, okay... How do you maximize what you're getting out of Austin Matthews? And we've right, talked because, a bit about that. Yes, because Matthews, as you said, has an absolutely amazing skill set, right? What he is mm -hmm. good at, he is the best in the world at. Yeah. But it's not, he's not good at everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think Babcock, this year especially, has really started to feed him offensive zone time, right? Like off of icings, off of um, TV timeouts and with the face-off in the offensive zone. His offensive zone starts are, are quite a bit higher this year than they have been in the past, I believe. So, and I think that's smart because he is at his best in the offensive zone. I think he is a fine transition player. He's like a good transition player. He is a very good passer. He is an elite shooter and creator in the offensive zone, right? That's where you want to use him as much as possible. Now, as it relates to last night, um, he... He was very active, I thought. Um, he had a very nice power play goal. In the third period, especially, I thought he really came on strong and made some excellent power moves to the net and created some chances. Um, at the same time, he controlled less than half the shot attempts when he was on the ice, Max, ma matched up against Max Domi's line. And perhaps more damningly, he controlled... 25% of the expected goals. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Especially, like, <laughs> you need, your, your best guys need to be driving the bus for you. They need to be um, out shooting and out chancing other teams, right? And Matthews didn't really do that at even strength last night. Now, part of that 
it doesn't fall just on him. It falls on his linemates. And the defense, I, I, you know, when someone's expected goals against are really, really bad, often it's because they're giving up a couple huge chances in a single game anyways. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and as it relates to last night's game, Matthews, of course, he was better than his expected goals. It suggests that he was giving up high-quality chances. I find that often can be a little luck-based or, uh, if anything, it falls more on the defense when you're mm. playing there. I, I believe defense have more ability to suppress shot quality than, than forwards. At the same time, it's, it's not good. And this has been a thing that we've seen from him all year where his lines simply haven't been amazing, right? Um, having Kapanen there has helped, but even that Kapanen, Janssen, um, Matthews line, I, I don't think has been phenomenal, right? Mm. Or at least not phenomenal given the expectations that we have of Austin Matthews, right? We want Matthews to control at least 50% of the shots, like 54, 55% goals, and even more in goals. That's, that's the ideal. You want him to be what, um, like, Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin or Connor McDavid do, where, like, the team is just dominant when they're on the ice. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to win those Matthews minutes handily. And the power of the Leafs is that if everything works out, you win those Matthews minutes handily, you win those Tavares minutes handily. Kadri can hold his own against almost anyone. Right, and it's like yeah. okay, it becomes very tough for an opponent to be like, where do we win against this team? Yeah, right. It's the, but, the dream of the three-headed monster. Exactly, but that hasn't really been the reality this year. Tavares has held up his end of the bargain. Matthews hasn't from an on-ice perspective, and last night was more of the same. Mm-hmm. Right, so we'll get into this more a little bit later. But I, that's something I wanted to touch on. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the Leafs' defense? Uh, the Leafs defense is what it is. I, I do worry that it's, um, it's clouded a bit because, and it was such like an emotional game. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like full disclosure, like I hate the fucking Habs. It's like Batman and the Joker. It's like the ancient rivalry. And even when it's like, it's kind of been in the abeyance for a few years. Uh, as soon as we get into like a heated game with them again, and I was like, all right, fuck these guys. So th- the fact that we looked really awful for about... 12 to 15 minutes at the end of the first. And then we sort of charge back has colored my perception of everyone in those things. So I feel like the defense was bad in the first and then better going forward. I was impressed with Travis Dermott's work. Um, sometimes I think Leafs Twitter is like in love with him, maybe to a bit of an excessive degree because he has nice Corsi and they want him to replace sides ever handsy. But I actually saw him making powerful plays there and rushing the puck a little bit. And I thought that was really positive. So he, he stood out for me on the night. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I thought Dermot was fine. I, I thought Hainsey had a good game for him, mm. you know, by his standards. Um, in terms of time on ice, uh, Hainsey was the third most played Leafs defenseman, but only seven seconds more than Muzzin, which is not, um, not a huge, huge issue, I don't think. So it's good to see that be the case. Uh, Travis Dermot didn't play very much at all, especially at 5v5. He had 12 minutes of 5v5 time. Next closest Leafs defenseman was Zaitsev with 15. Yeah, I, I do find that a bit surprising. Um, yeah, I, I wonder about that. So, yeah, I, I mean, logically, there must have been some... We were, and we were chasing the game, so I imagine there was some uh, shuffling of the pairings going on, mm-hmm. right? The, the Leafs have this thing where they go behind and then they start playing their best players more. <laughs> and it's like... You know, why don't we do that from the start? <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I've noticed uh, is that I, you know, like I share that complaint. And I find myself thinking, you know, gee, maybe we could see Gardner Riley a little earlier or even as a thing that we just do. Mm-hmm. But 
the Leafs at time of this podcast anyway are still the only team in the league not to lose a game that they were leading going into the third and just in the context of a lot of the criticism of Mike Babcock he is in the results business and I know that as nerds who think okay wins and losses can be random goals for and against are subject to a lot of noise and small samples sometimes you just won't get the bounces all of that happens but he is again in the results business and ultimately he can only lose so long and hold his job and conversely if he wins he keeps his job um and i'm sure that that kind of overbears some of his thinking so when he does certain things to hold a lead or in a defensive context and the team wins repeatedly i'm sure there's a natural instinct of well the proof is in the pudding what I'm doing is working. And I know that that drives people crazy. But I kind of get it a little bit from him psychologically. Anyway, that's just an aside. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that... Uh, I The thing about Travis Dermott is that he doesn't seem to be kind of the go-to guy in any situation except just game neutral. You know, Gardner and Riley are the guys when you really, really need a goal and for... Babcock leaning harder on Hainsey or Zaitsev in a defensive situation. And then Dermot is just kind of, well, I'm here also, guys. So I guess that's yeah. what happened last night. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I have to look this up, but I remember at the start of the year, it appeared that Babcock was giving Dermot some Hainsey minutes or like some shifts with Riley that would ordinarily have gone to Hainsey, particularly off um, icings and things like that, offensive mm-hmm. zone draws where he put the two together. And I think that has slowed down to some degree. Mm. Um, and the arrival of Jake Muzzin helps that process because now Babcock has another guy who he seemingly trusts. But um, it will be interesting to see because at some point, Travis Dermott's going to have to be a top four defenseman for us, right? Just because yeah. that's what we need given our cap situation. And I think a big hope for a lot of people this year was that he could step into that role already, or at least that we'd see him in that role to some extent, we haven't really done so. No. I have noticed he's been playing on the right-hand side uh, since the arrival of Muzzin more and more. And I'm wondering about that. Like, if this is kind of, you know, we all know that Babcock feels that handedness is important um, in construction of his defensive pairings, but at some point we're going to have to play more left-handed defensemen on the right side because we don't have enough right-handed defensemen. And so I'm wondering if this is kind of a training wheels period for Dermot on the right. And that's a bit of a factor there. Um, I don't know in terms of the comfort level there, whether that's going to be a thing going forward, like as Dermot settles in on a third pairing playing right side, and then eventually Babcock will say, okay, you're ready to take top four minutes on your offhand. Um, Just something to keep an eye on going forward. I find myself still thinking that this is an adjustment period. What he goes into the playoffs with, I think is going to tell us more conclusively what Babcock really thinks. I think, I don't know, I disagree with you on that and that mm. I think what he, he what we're seeing now is what he thinks. Yeah, you, you think that like this is still basically, this is it. You know, the games are too important and he's not really messing around. He's just, yes. yeah, that could be the case. Um, I can't deny that. And it's possible that the, games come playoff time will just look the same in which case i will definitely concede that you were right about that but i don't know i i still think that um 
there was a feeling out period here going on. Yeah, I believe at least last year, um, Babcock leaned much more heavily on Jake Gardner in the playoffs. Yeah, well, you, I mean, if you look by score state, in terms of like how close is the game, so mm-hmm. is is the game within one goal, is it tied, or are the Leafs blowing the other team out or vice versa? Whenever it is close, Jake Gardner plays a lot more. And then when the game is basically decided, uh, although we just learned something very fun about three goal leads not being conclusive, but... When the game is basically decided, Jake Gardner plays less, and then third-pair guys play more. So when push comes to shove, Jake Gardner is still the guy on this defense uh, for Mike Babcock at 5-on-5 five five, to a large extent. And I think that... I don't know. I don't always think that that's popularly recognized. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people think, oh, he's Jake Gardner, kind of occasionally brilliant, but mostly sloppy second-pair defenseman. It's like, no, this is basically the Jake Gardner show on defense, too. <laughs> A lot more of the time than people think. You know, Morgan Riley does a lot of stuff, and he's a great power play defenseman. But, yeah. Um, so, Jake, Jake Gardner is, you know, probably going to end up still being the guy who gets leaned on for at least a lot of minutes come playoff time. So, I don't think that's going to change. Right, and, it, and it, makes, um, it makes the contract situation he's in even more interesting because, you know, when you look at his usage, it, the one thing that's clear is that Babcock loves him. Like, he... Yeah. Or, or uh, at the very least, he loves him relative to the alternatives. Yeah. Right? So I can see it being challenging to kind of say goodbye to that, right? And the Leafs cap situation and Gardner's kind of reasonable salary demands make it, that, make it such that it's going to be very hard to keep him and mm-hmm. um, without making like some really significant changes. Like if you're doing that, Zaitsev for sure has to be traded. Brown has to be traded. The Leafs have to take pretty much no salary back in either of those trades. Yeah. And even then, it's a little tight. Yeah. I mean, I saw some people thinking, and this is kind of the old asset management fixation that we experienced last year with uh, James Van Riemsdyk. Um, Jake Gardner is coming up, as we said, on an expiring contract. And so some people were saying, I think, you know, we might flip him at the trade deadline. I'm maybe putting myself on the line a little bit here because we're recording this Sunday morning and the trade deadline is tomorrow. I can't see a universe where we do that. Oh, I, I would be completely shocked Stunned. if we did that. Um, yeah. I'd promise to eat cat shit if that happened, but someone already beat me to it with the Leafs <laughs> game last night, so. <laughs> that was the, cr- like, what? <laughs> I, just... I, I saw that on Twitter and I, at first I thought someone was joking and then I saw the yeah. video and I'm like, oh, oh, good Lord. Like, I, I haven't watched the video. I'm like, I pretty much can imagine yeah, yeah, what you're happens not, when You're someone... not missing out, really. <laughs> is that, you know, like I don't have a medical background, but like, no, it's, is this not guy going to get really sick? I, so I was actually talking to some people at PPP about that and apparently cat um, waste has what is called, um, I'm looking this up now, toxoplasmosis in it. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah, that sounds like a thing that would be bad. When Anything that has tox- like tox, like yeah. toxic and plasma in it and like, uh, you know what, that's a no for me. Yeah, I don't know if that's blood poisoning or just other miscellaneous unpleasantness related to consuming cat shit. Oh, you know what? We should clarify this for the people who have the good judgment not to find out about this stuff until they listen to us. Yeah. But there was a guy who said when the chips were down, the Leafs were down 3 nothing after the first period, and he was very upset, and he says, uh, 
if the Leafs come back to win this game, I will eat cat shit. Um, he said he wanted to win that badly. I don't know why you have to do that. I don't think those what two are things to prove? are correlated. <laughs> I th- right? That's what I don't get. Like, no one asked you to do this. Yeah, he dared himself to do something just awful and disgusting. You know, just connecting a couple of totally independent variables. But they did. And as a man of his word, he filmed himself eating some cat shit. And don't do that. You know? Yeah. I I saw someone tweet that says, you know, this is one of those situations where I would respect a guy for reneging on his, (laughs) his promise more than carrying it out. Like, at a certain point, your integrity to the, the system of self-dares is just not worth toxoplasmosis or just general, you know? <laughs> that was just one of the weirdest and dumbest things that has ever happened on Leaf Twitter. And for the record, Leaf Twitter is already a very weird and dumb place. <laughs> but if you want to hear more from Catchit Guy, you can catch him on Sundays on TSN 10. <laughs> Catchit Guy and Dart Guy laying out the takes. Um, yeah, sorry, we were talking about something real and important there, and then we just got totally, uh, derailed by the cat shit guy. That's gonna haunt me in my dreams for a long yeah, time. Yeah, oh, we were talking about Gardner getting traded. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, I don't think it's a good idea from a hockey point of view, because, like, I mean, if you're trading Jake Gardner, you need to get someone at least as good as Jake Gardner, like, right now. Yeah. Because, you know, I, you, you can say that, oh, the Leafs aren't true contenders yet. Like, at what point... At some point, you have to just say, you know, fuck waiting. We're going for it, right? Yeah. Like, you only have so many chances. The Leafs are a good team. They're not a perfect team. They're not the best team in the world. Mm-hmm. But they're a good team. They have a reasonable shot at winning a cup. And by that, I mean, like, 5%. Yeah. Which, right? you know, is And you, it, it, you owe it to yourself and your fans and your players to not kind of wimp out of those 5% chances. So, it's just, I, I fail to see... A situation where it works like you 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 actually had a piece on this like maybe in the summer mm-hmm. or early in the year like stop trying to trade jake gardner and basically it pointed out that the teams who would be interested in someone like jake gardner overwhelmingly overwhelmingly would not be good trade partners for toronto because yeah. they want to give up future wins not present wins because why else would they trade for a rental exactly and that situation has only become more pronounced the only thing that i've ever seen that I found even the, the least plausible is the lefty-righty swap basically for another rental. Right. Um, it has to be like a, a three-team type of thing too, potentially, where like you get assets for Gardner then flip those assets to another team for a, a right-D rental. But the best right-D rental or the most attractive one in Nick Jensen is, is off the market now. So, Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about what happened at the trade deadline later on. But yeah, Nick Jensen was traded from Detroit to Washington and then extended there. So uh, for the people who were fantasizing about him as a pickup, sorry. But uh, yeah, so I just, I don't see any kind of fit with Jake Gardner. And I think we're, this is the squad, you know, for better and for worse. And it might be rearranged in order of usage or priority. I don't think that Mike Babcock is a total stick in the mud. In terms of sticking with things, uh, I know that he really frustrates people. He frustrates me to some extent. Like, you know, the Ron Hainsey show can probably wrap up a little bit. Or you can at least drop him to the third pairing. But I I do think that he is a little bit responsive. 
Um, I think he learns. It's just slower yeah. than I would like. Yeah, you know, he has strong priors. He has a strong faith in his own judgment, in what he sees working in terms of goals, in all that sort of stuff. But he did eventually, you know, stop playing Matt Martin and move Leo Komarov to the fourth line and stuff like that um, last season. And so I think that there is some adaptability there. Um, whether or not that's going to kick in by playoff time to a, in a way that people like, I don't know. But I, I do think that this is kind of the squad. So hopefully Ron Hainsey, if we keep leaning on him, keeps having more pretty okay nights, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, so the, another thing we wanted to discuss today is uh, William Sealander. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a pun. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. So Nylander's um, played the last two games at center. Um, overall, it's looked, in my opinion, pretty good. Very good, actually. He had a brilliant game against Washington and... A, I guess, slightly less impressive, but still solid game against Montreal, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unclear how long Nazem Kadri is going to be out. Obviously, with a concussion, you want to give him all the time he needs, yeah. right? Um, not just because Nazem Kadri is an incredibly important player for the Leafs now in the fu- and in the future, but because, you know, you, you care about the quality of life of Nazem Kadri. Yeah, um, for, like, real human reasons yes. that maybe we underemphasize sometimes in these discussions. But, yeah. Yeah, so Kadri, uh, there, there's no word on whether he's going to be back for Buffalo. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Nylander will presumably play center as long as Kadri is out. Yeah. I, I guess the question is, what happens when Kadri comes back, right? And, you know, James Myrtle had an article where he suggested, you know, maybe it's possible for Nylander's future to be at center. and You can trade Kadri um, at some point. And, you know, Kadri's a brilliant player on an unbelievably team-friendly deal. He would fetch a fortune. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is actually something Katya has has pointed out. Although I believe her her logic is not to play Nylander at center; it's to get someone cheaper who does like eighty five percent of what Kadri does for like sixty five percent of the cost. Yeah, I mean the thing about it is that Nazem Kadri is an overqualified three C, as we've discussed. Right, but being a three C, you pay him, you play him. Less ice time yes. than a player of his quality. And you don't get to take advantage of his brilliance in a lot of ways. For example, he plays with kind of the remainders of the Leafs forwards, right? With the exception of William Nylander. Mm. And, and most Leafs fans have been clamoring to put William Nylander up with Austin Matthews, right? So he gets kind of the worst line mates of the three uh, Leaf centers. He gets the least offensive zone starts. And those are all deserved and make a lot of sense for the team as a whole. But it means that, you know, the benefits of Nazem Kadri as a player are not being fully realized. It's like having a beautiful car that you only take to the GO train. Yeah, you know, as right? much like, as we love having Nazem Kadri dominate in, let's say, 15 minutes at 5-on-5 five five a night or something like that. Um, if he's playing 15 minutes and he's a player who could be doing really, really well in 20 minutes, you nonetheless just aren't getting that value. You're hoping you're getting it back in terms of a favorable situation for Tavares and Matthews. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about how hard that is to quantify. Uh, I think that it is worthwhile and that it is valuable. Uh, Again, our strategy against Boston, God help me, is still basically that someone has to saw off against the Bergeron line, whether it's Kadri or someone else, and then we beat up on their weaker competition. But... I do think that there is potentially a case there long-term. I still find myself thinking a team in our position, contender, capped out, 
loves value contracts for mm-hmm. key players. I still think 3C is a key slot. I still think that this is a valuable contract. And so the return would probably have to be higher than we can realistically expect before I really thought we were winning that trade. Yeah. And the, 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 one of the problems with that is, or at least with the way I've seen it phrased where you trade Kadri and maybe keep William Neander at center, a couple mm-hmm. things. One, we, we spent a lot of time discussing how Austin Matthews is not, uh, his lines have not been as successful as we want. And I think a lot of us would agree that one of the keys to making Matthews' line successful again is giving him someone like William Nylander, right? Because Nylander and Matthews work together so brilliantly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Nylander's flaws are that he doesn't do as much as he should in the offensive zone. Like, his, his shot it has not been successful um, he sometimes gets his shot blocked and his team's, uh, or his line when he's on the ice, gets their shot blocked at a, an above average rate uh, if we look at the past couple years. But when you're with Matthews, you know, that's less of a concern because Matthews is so good at getting his shot up and so good at getting it through and things like that. Um, and while Matthews isn't very good or isn't as good at the transition aspects of it, Nylander is one of the best transition players in the league. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's there's a lot of kind of synergizing that could occur with that combination. And if you play Nylander at 3C, you are missing out on that. The other thing is, I mean, we said that, you know, we think the Nas- or sorry, the Nylander contract will be value. You don't typically pay your third line center $7 million. No. Even with the cap going up, it's going to be a while before it goes up to that being a standard price point. Yeah, and, and the same things that we talked about with, you know, with Kadri, we're, we're not realizing everything out of him because we, we just can't play him enough because we have two better guys to play in front of him. The same would be true of Nylander at center, mm-hmm. right? You can't justify playing him over Matthews or Tavares, but he is still an, a, a great player. So I think you'd have to get very creative at that point where it's like Nylander plays like first line right wing, but also like three and a half center, right? Where like he plays a couple <laughs> shifts at center. Like it, It'd be well, really, really weird. a cloning machine. Yeah, it'd be really <laughs> weird and really, I guess, um, innovative. But I don't see the Leafs necessarily doing that. Now, I think Nylander is a very good center. He has the skills to be a center. And this is something that uh, you and I were talking about last night, that in many ways, Nylander is a more traditional center archetype than Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. So it, it's... It's a very interesting discussion, and Nylander's excellent play over the past few weeks, and in particular these last couple games, have made this more um, palatable, or this, this idea more palatable, whereas like three weeks ago, this would be utter lunacy, right? Um, but I think if you are going to trade Kadri, and that will probably happen at some point, just you know playing the odds, if you're going to trade Kadri, I think what you would do is you replace him with a guy making like $3 million, um, who can do a lot of the same defensive duties. It doesn't have the offensive talent of Kadri, but it doesn't matter as much because of his role. So, like, if if Vladislav Nemestikov was making $3 million instead of $4 million, mm-hmm. he would be the type of player who I would look at there. Yeah, if you can find a guy who could do that on a budget, um, I, I'd have to check in on my old friend, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, but he's the, the kind of guy that I think of in that respect. Um I do think that there is something interesting about Nylander being kind of a more traditional center. And one other thing that um, that I'd like to note, just talking about what a unicorn Austin Matthews is, is that he can do so much himself 
And yet, I don't think he does as much as maybe some people expect in terms of generating points for his line mates in the same way. Uh, I want to be careful what I mean here. With Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, they will turn scrub wingers into guys who are getting 20, 30 goals or who are really overperforming what their talent level suggests. I think Austin Matthews really benefits from a guy who is of his caliber on a really high end. I'm sure those other guys would too, but in Austin Matthews' case, he wants someone to feed him the puck. He's not going to be feeding them as much because he's the finisher. Finishers are great. Finishers are maybe the most important thing you can have in a league where, you know, you got to score goals. But it just means that he's different. And yeah. we and, talked and, to... Yeah, sorry, sorry just, go ahead. Matthews is a good passer, but it's like, I want Austin Matthews shooting. Right? Exactly. Like the opportunity cost of Matthews passing is that Matthews isn't shooting. And I don't want Matthews not shooting. I want Matthews shooting. Yeah. The ideal end of a play where Austin Matthews is on the ice is Austin Matthews taking a shot. And that is pretty consistently true. So ideally, you want someone who's really good at getting him in a position to do that. If you can have everything you possibly want, you have that guy also be sort of a secondary shooting threat. Um, you'd want him to be a great transition player. You know, when we were talking about the synergy that the two of them had right from the beginning, and, you know, for two years they played together all the time, they're really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, We've seen together. it. It's not like a theoretical thing. Yeah. And I'm patient with it. I'm okay with these things as they develop. Nylander and Kadri actually do just fine by me. But in the end, yeah, I'd say put Nylander back with Matthews. And Nylander can even be kind of a pseudo-center. Or he can handle some of those traditional center duties. And we can just let Austin Matthews be Austin Matthews. And when Austin Matthews is Austin Matthews, he's probably going to contend for a scoring title. So, fine by Yeah, me. Yeah, and... <laughs> I mean, I, I think the. I, I think it'd be hard. I don't think Babcock would do this now, but like, I actually think Nienander is better than Matthews at the defensive side of being a center, and I think people tend not to think that because of one, Matthews is bigger, right? He he has the he fits the archetype of the big strong center, right? Nienander is is comparatively smaller. Uh, is known to be spacey as well defensively. And I'm not saying Nylander is Patrice Bergeron here. He's not. I think he is average-ish defensively, right? I don't think he's great at it. I just think Matthews is worse. Um, but, yeah, I think there's an argument to say, okay, Nylander's actually better at this sort of thing. And you can use his transition ability even more if he's coming low to collect the puck and really builds up some speed. And, you know, we, we saw against Montreal, like, he had a couple really nice zone entries where he just... Like, you can't really stop him without taking a penalty. And in fact, in one of those cases, they should have taken a penalty. It was like the most blatant trip I've seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to be Lee fan who complains about the refs. But, gee, it would be nice to get some more calls. It's a little more palatable last night that, because we scored on two power plays. Mm. But uh, anyway, as you were saying. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I see that experiment going i i'd like to i guess put more center-like duties in nylander's role but ultimately still playing with matthews uh, yeah on the wing like it, at least on the lineup sheet he'd be on the wing uh, the, the two of them even last year they both took draws depending on their strong side mm-hmm. right because matthews is a left shot nylander's a right shot so that works out well um and i i think ultimately that's kind of the key to getting the most out of both of them 
And I, I think that is a line where you can say, I can expect 55% of the goals for, from this line for the next 10 years. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about the core of this team going forward, it probably long-term is true is that we, you know, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, Marner, and right away you've built a top six that should be able to contend with anyone else in the league. Just put the right spare parts around them as best you can, but really that's your forward core. Um, Kadri is a really, really important piece. I still think we should hold on to him for another couple of years at least, but yeah, that's... Uh, that's kind of the long-term vision. And so when Kadri comes back, it will be interesting to see if Nylander is going to take his spot back on the, the, the top line. I, I do love Kapanen a lot. I think he's mm-hmm. a really, really great player. He does feel like a bit of a one-man band to me at times in a quite good way. Like he can rush the puck himself and just zoom in and rifle it. It's one of the reasons he's such a, pe- a great penalty kill threat because... He can just go by himself. He doesn't need anyone's help um, with the, the level of speed he has and the hands that he's developed. But at the same time, I don't know that we're getting that added value with Matthews the way that you do with Nylander. And so I think basically this comes down to Matthews plus Nylander is more than the sum of its parts. And Matthews plus Kapanen right now is Matthews plus Kapanen. They're still great players, but I don't see the same chemistry. There. Right, as good as Kapanen is, he's not in Nylander's league as a passer. No, because most people aren't. <laughs> no, and, and yeah. like the amazing thing is the Leafs have an even better passer in, in Mitch Marner. And I, you wanted to discuss him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just talking about it. He's been kind of discussed lately as having slumped a little bit. Most of this is just that he was shooting the lights out, or his on-ice percentage was, as a related point, everything was going in while mm-hmm. he was on, and that's when he was on pace for like 110 points. And so we were kind of like, this probably will cool off a little bit. I'm still not super concerned. You know what I mean? Like, he still looks like he's playing well to me. He's had some off games, um, as all players do. I think, you know, people tend to read in the ongoing negotiation as him being kind of worried about his, his contracts or something. His agent has said, we're not negotiating in season, and then done a lot of things that look a lot like negotiating in the season, but whatever. Um, I don't think that certainly there's any reason to be worried about Mitch Marner going forward. I just think that you have to be a little bit realistic in that the Mitch Marner who is like constantly lighting everyone up and winning the scoring trophy is not the thing that you get all the time. You don't get a 110-point player all the time. You might get an 80-90 point player, though, and that's pretty terrific. So, yeah. That's just what I would say about his slump. His numbers are still pretty much fine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I thought he had a good game yesterday in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think basically at the start of the year, every risk that Marner took came off, right? And yeah. when he came out uh, of the draft, Jeff Merrick had a really good line about him. that He doesn't make the right play, he makes the better play, mm-hmm. right? And I think that really defines Mitch Marner. He, he, makes, he makes plays that you, know, you don't even see with the broadcast angle sometimes, right? And that, that's wonderful. And... But that, you know, takes, it's a risk to do that. It doesn't always work. And during the first half of the year, it pretty much always worked, right? To an absurd degree where even in games where Marner was invisible for 85, 90% of it, he would do one thing and it would end up in the back of the opponent's net. And you're like, wow, like that's, that's just amazing. But mm-hmm. 
that it wasn't going to continue forever. And I, th I think that's that's all we're seeing now. I'm not concerned about Martin anyway. I don't really think this has anything to do with kind of the um, hubbub his agent caused mm -hmm. with his with his comments um, that were reported in the Toronto Star. I just think, you know, sometimes players go through small slumps. And as far as slumps go, uh, Marner is still producing quite well. He, he wasn't the, you know, 1.3 point per game player that he was in October. But I think we all knew that, right? Like, it, yeah. it's that shouldn't really shock anyone. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's still amazing. I, I will notice the power play with him on it has been... It, it slowed down a little bit. And yeah, I, it, it, it seems that way. It feels a little predictable um, in terms of when the passing lanes are cut for Mitch Marner or blocked, we're counting on Mitch Marner to shoot, and that's almost the only offensive thing he's not really, really good at. Um, and and so he can. St I'm not even saying he's bad at it. I'm just saying his shot is not his greatest strength. And so teams are like, well, if we have to choose our poison, we'd rather it be a Mitch Marner shot. Right, a Mitch Marner shot with like no pre-shot movement because he's always the one with the puck. Exactly. You know, if he has to set it up, then all he can do is kind of take a couple steps towards the net. And I found myself thinking uh, last night on that really great uh, second unit power play goal that that's something I'd like to see a little more of. Um, they started doing it a bit yeah. more on the first unit. But yeah, like it, it felt for some time like they were trying to force the Matthews to, or sorry, the Marner to Matthews cross seam pass. And. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, it's just tough to do. Like, it's, there's one lane for that pass, and, you know, if you scout it out, you can figure it out pretty pretty easily. Uh, and they're, they're good enough to make it work despite that, but, you know, you have John Tavares down low. John Tavares is, you know, not a bad passer by any means. Yeah. So, so what happened on the, the second unit power play goal is Nylander was in the Mitch Marner position on the right wall, and Patrick Marlowe was just to the side of the net near Nylander a little below or about on the goal line. So Nylander goes down to Marlowe. Marlowe goes through the slot, so it's still a Royal Road pass, to catch Tyler Ennis, who's on the left wing coming in, and Ennis rifles at home. And so you still get that pre-shot movement, but instead of going straight cross seam all the time, it's down and then over. And I find myself thinking, as much as I like having Tavares right there contesting real estate in front of the net, maybe getting a stick on a tip, hacking in a rebound, whatever. Having him have the option to drop below the goal line and then maybe work things out from there is also something that I would like to see more of, especially when you see um, the cross seam is really getting blocked a lot of the time. Just a way of diversifying looks a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, and again, insofar as Mitch Marner really has had some sort of real slump, I think it's just teams adapting a little bit for that. He's still great. He's still brilliant. Um, so by and large, I, I would be totally unconcerned. This probably sounds a little bit silly. You're thinking, are people really worried about Mitch Marner after that euphoric win? But people seem to be. So, or they were earlier this week when we were losing. So. Right. And I mean, things change very fast in Leafsland. We're all very happy about this win. If we don't beat Buffalo on Monday, people are going to be annoyed. Oh, yeah. We'll get right back to the fire Babcock thing. And... The crowd that wants to dispose of him is very vocal. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. The, the only thing that I'll note is, like, look, he has his flaws. Uh, if Sheldon Keith comes in, he's going to piss you off too. You can still prefer Sheldon Keith's coaching style, don't get me wrong, but 
there will be something. There will be some idiosyncrasy where he doesn't do what you want. Um, and I just hope people are kind of aware of that. I still think Mike Babcock is the coach this year and next year, and then we'll see. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. We wanted to recap some trade deadline stuff. Yeah. So why don't we do that? Um, first of all, was the, the Nick Jensen thing, which we can probably cover pretty quickly. So he, he's a rental, or he was a rental defenseman. He was with the Detroit Red Wings. He broke into the league uh, relatively late, around age 26. He's 28 now. Uh, good defensive defenseman on a not very good team. So he was in, he was much in demand in a market that was really strong on forwards, not so much on defense. Uh, Washington made a deal for him where they gave up Madison Bowie and a second in exchange for Jensen and a fifth. Uh, and then when he got to Washington, they extended him for four years right away. Four years, $10 million. Yes, which is probably a pretty good deal for a player of Jensen's caliber if yeah. he can keep up his play. Yeah, so the thing about Jensen, um, he is not one of those from the Isle of Shelter third-pairing defensemen. He's playing mm. top four minutes on Detroit, and he's doing well in those minutes, especially when you consider the talent that he has to play with and his usage. He's quite good defensively. And he's been, over the last couple years, actually, you know, since he's gotten into the NHL, he's put up good defensive results, and this year is even stronger, right? Um, so he, I'm comfortable saying he is a top-four defender. I, yeah. I, I honestly feel that. I, I think he is a top-four defender. I think um, he's not a top-pair guy by any means, but he is not a guy who you need to shelter and puts up nice, coursey results, and that's it. And people who characterize him as that haven't looked into him or haven't watched him play. He's good. Now, I was frustrated at this as a Leafs fan because I, I like Jensen a lot. And um, myself and Kevin Papetti, and I should credit Kevin, he was maybe the first guy I heard talking about Jensen, even going back to last year, I think. Um, and, and at that point, I was less convinced about Jensen because he was, a 20, at that point, a 27-year-old with t- two years of NHL experience where he looked okay but not amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he looked like a league average defenseman. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I would have liked the Leafs to acquire him, not just as a rental, but because I felt that he could be had cheaply, and that thought ended up being proven correctly. Because four years at $10 million, so two and a half per year, that is a really good deal for a guy who I think is a top forward player. Right? Yeah. Um, it, that, that's a bit of a steal, especially when you consider that the cap is going up, uh, that expansion is coming, and that um, the, the money from Seattle is coming in that could potentially boost the cap further. I get why Jensen signed it, but I sort of, like, if I was his agent, I'd just tell him to wait. Yeah, you and I had a discussion about this, and yes. I'm a little more sympathetic to his position of this. I get what you're saying, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, from a uh, rational perspective, you make more money there. Yes, probably. I mean, if, if you wait 30 games, right? So, like, Washington has signed him without them seeing how he does on their team. So they evidently believe in him. They, they thought this deal was good enough from their perspective to... Um, to sign him without any reservations. And in these sorts of situations, you always get a bit of a discount because you are taking the risk of the player, for example, getting hurt uh, by the time before or over the course of the rest of the season. But it's only 30 games left, mm-hmm. right? The, the risk of getting hurt in 30 games is not enormous, right? Yeah, not, not of like a serious injury. Well, the, thing, the only thing that I would note from Jensen's perspective... Um, is that we've all seen playoff runs where a rental player 
seemed to visibly cost himself like a million dollars a year. Like, I think that happened to Kevin Shattenkirk, for example, um, with a run with uh, Washington. And if you're a guy who only made the league at 26, who's never made a million dollar AAV, I could get the temptation to get there and then just take the money and avoid the risk of new coach turns out it doesn't like me. I struggle learning their system and they don't trust me down the stretch. And then suddenly I'm out on the free market and we're talking two years at less money instead of what I'm getting. I'm not saying that that's like the average result though. Like rationally, I think you're right. You should wait it out, take the bet. I just, I get erring on the side of security when you're a player who's had Jensen's background. Yeah, and either way, it's life-changing money, right? He's, yeah. He's set for life now. His family is set for life. He can set up future generations. Well, they could, you know, he ultimately he should do what's happy, what makes him happy. And I'm in no position to judge that, but I thought it was curious. It was something where I would have liked the Leafs to make that exact move. Now, granted, who knows if he would have signed an extension in Toronto, right? We, we never know yeah. those sorts of things. Um, he is American, I believe. Which, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying, you know, we love Americans here in Toronto. Uh, we have some very prominent ones on our team. But at the same time, it just may not be the same personal preference. It is a different country, and not everyone is down with that, which is fine. Exactly. Um, so, right, yeah, so, so we, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Oh, well, all right. Um, the Ottawa Senators and the Columbus Blue Jackets have apparently decided that... They're going to swap they teams? Just, Trade or not, not swap teams, but combined teams. Yeah. There was a, like a Dmitry Filipovich line who was like, you can't blame the Columbus Blue Jackets for wanting to replicate the success the Senators have had this season. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, yeah, so they dealt in two separate transactions, Matt DeShane uh, from Ottawa to Columbus and then Ryan DeZingle from Ottawa to Columbus. So... I guess we can separate these out a little bit. The first thing was Matt DeShane. Matt DeShane is a first-line center, really talented offensively. Uh, infamously was traded from Colorado to Ottawa in that franchise-destroying move where Ottawa gave up their first, um, which they had the option to defer, but it's going to come up this year, and the Sens are the worst team in the league, it looks like. So it may cost the Sens like a franchise player. But, you know... That's done. So they had to decide if they were going to be able to extend Matt DeShane. They weren't. He didn't sound like he really wanted to be around for whatever is going to happen in Ottawa. So he's going to Columbus in exchange for Columbus's first this year, which is protected if it lands in the top three, which it probably won't. Um, and two prospects, Vitaly Abramov and... Uh, let me make sure I'm remembering his name right, if you'll give me a moment. But a second guy who plays uh, in the Swedish League. Um, and there's also another first-round pick that will move if DeShane signs an extension in Columbus. Um, sorry, I should say the second prospect is a guy named Jonathan Davidson. I was thinking of him as being named Jonas Davidson for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, my bad. This is an interesting move. On both ends. I think the Sens, for the position they are in, did well here. So let me add the caveat. The Sens have been a tire fire for a long time. We've made a lot of fun of them. If you had a new GM who came in last week and had to manage the fire sale, and he did this trade for Matt DeShane, I think you would say, pretty good job. 
I think that's fine. I don't think that it's outstanding. They didn't get an A prospect back, but I think it's okay. Matt DeShane is interesting for Columbus, and this is added to by the Zingle trade that we'll talk about in a second, because they already have two really prominent rentals, or expiring contracts, I should say, in Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky, who are an elite winger and an elite goalie, respectively. And both those guys are probably going to leave. And so if they add Matt DeShane to this, if they don't deal those guys, and if all three of them and Ryan Dezingle, who's also expiring, leave in the summer, they'll have paid a huge premium for one playoff run and kind of be left holding the bag after that. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? I respect what Columbus is doing. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's something that if I was a fan of that team, I would be happy with, right? It, it shows that this team is showing some ambition. And I, mm-hmm. I like that. I think teams in hockey are often too afraid to do, to do this. Um, right. Columbus is in a weak division. I, don't, I think the Islanders are, are, are a good team. They're better than I thought. I don't mm-hmm. think they're amazing. I don't think the Capitals are amazing. I don't think the Penguins are amazing. I think Columbus could very easily be the best team in that, in that group. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, go for it. Like, he, this is a franchise that has had no success at all. Like, literally yeah, The only franchise in the NHL that has never won a playoff series, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, they're also a, a fan base, or sorry, a franchise that has struggled at times to cultivate a fan base. And the way you cultivate a fan base is by winning. And a deep run would, would do a lot, right? Even, mm-hmm. if it's, even if it's just a one run, like, it, it shows... It shows that you care about what your ultimate goal is. You're, you're not an Ottawa. You're not a team that is content just sticking around. Yeah. Right? So I, I like it. I think it's risky, of course. But they have a good team. And I think they can do some real damage. They really, really could. From Ottawa's perspective, I mean, people are giving them praise for these trades. And I, I'm going to lump the Dzingle trade here as well. Um, this is the easiest part of being a, re- being a rebuilder. These selling trades are... Yeah you know, easy, 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 right? Yeah. So they, they're doing what I expect them to do. They got a good return. Well, they should. It's fucking Matt Duchesne. He's a first-line center. <laughs> yeah. Worth noting, though, that rising to replacement-level general management is, like, the largest improvement that the Senators have made in any respect in years. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, look, the Senators now have a, a pretty much an army of, of picks and prospects, both, you know, some great, some mediocre uh, in their farm system, and they could they could do a lot with that. I don't really fear them in any way, though. They they have a lot of picks. They don't have a high pick this year. They might have a high pick next year, but that's that'll be their own, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's possible things go really really well for them if like if Columbus completely falls apart next year. But right. you know, I'm I don't know. I'm just it's whatever it's it, it's selling trades they have they have some nice picks they need to draft well and then they need to actually spend some fucking money yeah this right is like, the problem with everything ottawa does is you still have the melnick factor yeah you still have the fact that they're not investing in their own team in players you still have the fact that they had all these good players and they, they, they a had final decision on they Mark had Stone. eric carlson matt duchene mike hoffman uh and mark Stone. yeah that should be the core, that's the core of, of a, a quite good team. That's the core of a cup contender. That's a top five forward, a top three defenseman, a first line center, and a first line winger. Yeah. Like, you really got to be able to put something around that. And they just didn't. Uh, and so now, um, 
the question becomes all of this talent comes in and now it goes out they're really building from the ground up and they do have a lot of picks now i still find myself thinking okay if you know in the summertime eugene melnick suddenly has a come to jesus moment and he sells the franchise and then they hire a new gm in favor over pierre dorian who is more competent frankly I, you know, I think the outlook on the franchise long term would be reasonably bright. Yes, no, I, but, I agree with that completely. It's just I have no faith in their in their. But management. that's not going to happen. Yeah, and yeah, and the same things that have effectively destroyed the previous iteration of the Ottawa Senators. There's no guarantee they're not going to destroy the next one. What are the odds they get four players as good as those four players that I just mentioned Extremely in the next five well. years? Very small. Brady Kachuk yeah. looks like he's a great player. Thomas Sh- uh, Thomas Shabbat. Sorry, I almost, I almost fucked that up I'll never get over that. Every yeah. time I see it, I'm like, Chabot. But That's probably how it should be pronounced. But like, it feels right. Not. Yeah. Anyways, um, but, you know, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat, great players. Nowhere near as good. Likely to be nowhere near as good as Mark Stone, Mike Hoffman, Matt Duchesne, or Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's damning. I mean, especially the Mark Stone thing. We've mentioned it before. He still hasn't been traded. They're <laughs> still allegedly trying to extend him. But it's kind of put up or shut up time now. Uh, and, you know, he may be dealt or, I guess, theoretically extended by the time this podcast is published. But, you know, he was the depth pick that was homegrown and that turned into a superstar player. And you can't retain him because you won't spend the money or you won't spend the signing bonuses, is the rumor. And it's like, at that point, there's not really much point for you to exist. Yeah. So... Anyway, the Ryan Zingle trade, which, again, I think the Ryan Zingle trade was actually good. Yeah. But um, I, I'll even rank it above fine, which is my feeling on the Dutrain trade. But Ryan Zingle is having a hot shooting year, scoring a lot of goals. I don't really think he's going to sustain this, but he's a decent enough winger. Um, the Sens traded Zingle and a seventh that they picked up from Calgary in a previous transaction to the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets gave Anthony DeClaire... And then Columbus's second round picks in 2020 and 2021. Um, I think that's actually an overpay because I don't think the Zingle is actually that good. But uh, whatever. At this point, I, I will say I actually I probably disagree that this is the right decision for the Blue Jackets. I think this is a mistake. I think it's a huge gamble that has the potential to be to be great, but probably won't be. But I do kind of admire like. Yarmo Kekalainen just being like, the ship is on fire and we're going to burn the boats and all this sort of stuff and we're all in. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, it's just sort of like, yeah, trade all your picks, man. Who gives a shit anymore? <laughs> You've staked everything on one spin of the roulette wheel, so why not? Yeah, and um, look, I don't think Columbus is completely screwed if this does not go well either, right? They, they have no, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I think is a, will be a, a first-line center. They have... Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones, who are mm-hmm. two top-pairing defensemen, that there are worse cores to build around. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even if you have the worst-case scenario here, which is Deshane, Panera, and Bob Zingle all gone, I, I still think that when you do the long-term outlook rankings for our franchise, they're going to be above quite a few teams. But, uh, yeah, I still think that this is a lot. Uh as far as I'm concerned, but I do admire the boldness. I'll say that for it. I really admire the boldness. Um, 
they've probably been the story of this deadline. I'm curious as to what's going to happen. Um, they are, I, I'm just seeing some tweets now, actually still listening on Artemi Panarin, which could mean anything. They should listen on Artemi Panarin. And if they do deal him, that's going to be kind of an interesting move in the context of their two recent additions. But, you know, it's interesting. You don't see GMs be this bold. And so I'm curious as to how it's going to go. Uh, there was one other transaction that's probably of note, which is that the Dallas Stars acquired um, Matt Zuccarello. Which, you know, I guess we can talk about that briefly. I like Matt Zuccarello a lot. I think he's a really, really great great player. Every time we played the Rangers, he stood out to me as a really, really talented playmaker. And he's just one of those lovable little guys who overcame the odds. But uh, it's for a second and a conditional third. And there are some weird conditions on it, which I will now read. Courtesy of Blue Shirt Banter, by the way who are our sister blog for the Rangers. If the Dallas Stars win two rounds in the playoffs and Zuccarello plays 50% or more of the games, the 2019 second becomes the 2019 first. If Zuccarello loves Dallas and sticks around this summer, so signs an extension, the 2023rd round pick becomes a coveted 2021st. I don't think I get what the Stars are doing other than Jim Neal was managing for his job. They're trying to make it to the playoffs, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to make it to the playoffs, and he thinks that he has to win, or else they're kind of finished. I get it. They need forward depth, and Zuccarello gives him that. But I don't know why what Dallas thinks they are. Well, I mean, I don't. Yeah, they, they're gonna they're in that um, tortoise race for the like one of the wild card spots, essentially, right? Yeah. So uh, they're going to face either what like San Jose or like Winnipeg or something. Yeah, like it's just it's hard to, for me to see them. Uh, I can't see not them limping w- in. They could limp in for sure. Yeah, but then like they're gonna do nothing know, in that series. Yeah, th- like they would need to get a huge hot streak to to go through, which is fine. Um, you know, th- like I think they're probably a playoff team. I guess. Yeah. But that's it. So and, maybe it's the two home games of playoff revenue. Like I mean, which does matter for especially for these these southern teams, who you know the. The Stars have, a, I think, a strong fan base, but they're always competing with, you know, a lot of other sports like the, the Mavericks and the Cowboys and things like that. So yeah. you have to be kind of relevant, right, in the playoff series, a, a way to do that, something yeah, to hang and, your hat and on. and that may be all this is, but it doesn't, I don't know, man. It's just, when you list teams who should be buying, I've said before I'm not huge on rentals to begin with. Right. But... Dallas is well down the list to me of teams that ought to be buying right now. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a moral hazard of a GM managing for his job. Yeah, and, you know, possibly the moral hazard of giving a ridiculous profanity-laced quote from your CEO (laughs) to The Athletic. But it was underrated in that whole nonsense exchange. But he also just said uh, their bad play is we're going to run through a GM. Or he says something to that effect, which basically said you're going to get Jim Neal fired. Um, I thought it was a mistake for Nicholson to, to, to say to, about Chiarelli in Edmonton. You know, if he makes the playoffs, he keeps his job. And it turns out they couldn't even get that far. I also think it's a mistake to tell the guy that, you know, like, you're probably going to be fired. Like, what kind of incentives are you setting up? Well, you're setting him up to buy at the deadline. And if that's all you want, 
fine. But aside from those extra games of playoff revenue, I don't really think this is worth it. Um, I, there is the kind of the funny scenario where if everything really works out, they're going to give first round picks to uh, to the Rangers, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. But yeah, just kind of a weird little rental trade for a interesting good player. But I don't think this is going to move the needle a whole lot. Katya floated the idea that like the condition, especially the resigning condition, is maybe the Rangers like trying to dissuade them, trying to dissuade Zuccarello or from the Stars from signing Zuccarello because maybe they want him back. Right, that's interesting. I don't. Um, I don't know enough about the dynamics at play there to know if that's true. Um, all I know is that Zuccarello is very, very well liked. Yeah, yeah. In the fan base and in the organization, and so you, you know, I certainly think that they might like the idea there, and if so, power to them. Yeah. Um, so maybe they are coming at it from that angle, where it's like either we get back this guy that we really like, or we get a first. Um, so, so who knows? That's something to keep an eye on. But uh, going into tomorrow, uh, which is the final big day of the deadline, and we are doing this at a bit of an awkward time because (laughs) we're like right in the the throes of it. Mark Stone is still in discussions with the Senators. I don't know what's going to happen there. If they don't trade him or extend him, that's a ridiculous failure of general management. And I think even Pierre Dorian knows that. I mean, he's been selling already. Yeah, but I mean, in Ottawa, a ridiculous failure of general management is known as Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, so who knows? But you would assume Mark Stone moves, and he will add a lot to whatever team he goes to. I just to. hope he goes west. Yeah. If, if Boston and, gets him, I am going to be depressed. Yeah, if Boston gets him, then they become, I would say, strong favorites yes. against us. Yeah. And that sucks. Because the, the thing is, Stone can anchor a second line. Right, yeah. and he has an, he he has the um, the play driving skill, and then also the finishing skill. He's a total package. So it, now it's no longer okay. We have to worry about the Bergeron lines now. Okay, well the Bergeron line now the Stone line, and then you're talking about seventy percent of the game right there, or you're probably yeah, taking and a then loss. It, it gets very tough for us to do very much about that. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But he's rumored. Uh, sorry, a lot of teams are rumored to be in on him. Yeah, Winnipeg, uh, including Nashville. Calgary. Uh, Calgary. All Western yeah. teams, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> yep, fine by me. If you go there, I don't have to worry about you until the finals, and honestly, we're going to cross that bridge if we come to it, so exactly. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything so that, else we wanted to discuss, or? Uh, no, nothing all that pressing, so yeah. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so, wow, that was an exciting um, exciting podcast and exciting <laughs> Leafs win. Uh, we'll, we'll both celebrate with our, our cat shit meals. <laughs> I, I'm just going to keep Jesus referencing Christ. this forever. Like it, It's just absurd to me. It's so surreal that like I can't even... like. It's the kind of thing where you're like, but that couldn't happen in real life. No one would do that. And apparently he did. Like I don't know if there's any evidence that the video is somehow fake. I would feel better if it were. <laughs> I'd be more impressed with him if it was. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, the yeah. thing is, what's the next? What's the next level of this, though? I don't know where you go from there. I don't. I don't know if well, what's above catch. It's like the Matthews four goal game. Like, how do you top yeah. it? <laughs> he came in so strong in his rookie performance by eating the catch yet, and then it's like, where is there to go from there? You know, everything after that is just going to be a lesser imitation. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, 
Thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fulman stuff at PensionPlanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVN at AT Fulman. And we'll see you next week.